Martin Luther said, It is pleasing to God whenever thou rejoicest or laughest from the bottom of thy heart. Isn't that good? It pleases God when we laugh from our heart, when we rejoice from the bottom of our heart. I like to think that God is pleased when we have a good belly laugh with with a snort. Think of the pleasure God must feel when his children laugh from the bottom of their hearts. And then think about what pleasure he must feel when we sing with joy from the bottom of our hearts because of what his son Jesus has done for us. But please understand this. Pleasing God isn't about putting a bigger smile on God's face. Pleasing God is about seeking to honor the one who already greatly delights in us. I learned that from Scotty Smith. You cannot increase God's smile by your obedience. He already greatly delights in you because of Jesus' obedience. To please God is to honor him, not put a bigger smile on his face. He already greatly delights in you. So you just live to honor him, to glorify him. So get used to it. You can't make God's smile grow bigger by your obedience and sacrifice. He loves you because of Jesus, not you. And that's what Paul is getting at in our passage today. So turn to Colossians chapter 1. Paul is praying for this church because they need help. They need to get recalibrated. Why? Well, recall that some false teachers had crept into the Colossian church and began teaching that there was more to do in the Christian life. They didn't believe that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. They believed that you needed to do more, you needed to try harder, you needed to pedal faster. So Paul is praying for them to understand all the blessings that are already theirs in Christ. They are in Christ. They are in Him. They are safe. They are secure. And they have all they need. They don't need to do any extra stuff, which the false teachers were peddling. They just need to rest in Christ. They just need to soak their hearts in the gospel. But keep in mind, too, that Paul is writing to an entire church, a church family, a church body. When Paul says, I have not ceased to pray for you, he's saying, I have not ceased to pray for y'all, all y'all. That's a Texas term, by the way. It covers everything. All y'all. That's what Paul is saying. I'm praying for all y'all. See, our tendency when we read the Bible is to make it about us and to divorce it from the context. We can't do that with this prayer. Paul is praying for this church, for these people he has never met. And all that he prays, he prays for the whole church and how they live with and love one another. Keep that in mind because it will make the passage mean so much more. Okay, so Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 9 through 14. Uh, all the way through, and then we'll come back and unpack it. And listener beware. Paul does one of his, I don't like to use periods in my sentences. I prefer commas. This is one long sentence in Greek kind of thing that Paul likes to do. He does that here. This is one long sentence in Greek. So we'll come back and pick it apart. But let's read it first. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. Hear the word of the Lord. And so... From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, 
so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So ever since Epaphras brought the gospel to Colossae and planted this church, Paul has been praying for them. And when Paul says that he has never ceased to pray for them, he doesn't mean that literally. His point point is that he habitually prays for them. He prays for them often. He's not talking about nonstop prayer for them. And because this is one long sentence in the original Greek and because it's very wordy, let's break down what Paul is saying here. He's praying for one, the Holy Spirit, to fill them up with the presence of Jesus so that they would walk in a way that honors God and builds up the entire church body and then be strengthened by God's power to live with one another and then to give thanks to God for what he's done in Christ. And so that's kind of a summary of Paul's long-winded prayer here. Paul begins by praying that the Holy Spirit would fill the Colossians up with the presence of Jesus, but he uses these words. He says, the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay, Paul is actually alluding to two passages in the Old Testament where these same words are used in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint. Noticing this Old Testament allusion... Um, is crucial to understanding Paul's prayer because it, it has everything to do with living in such a way that we love and build up the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit. So let me read the verses to you, Exodus 31, 1-5. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And then Exodus 35 30 to 33. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. So the Holy Spirit filled Bezalel and company, those who were with him, and gave them wisdom and understanding to build the tabernacle, the Mosaic tabernacle. And then even King Solomon uses these same words in 1 Kings 7 to describe the wisdom and insight that was given to those men to build the temple. So Paul is is alluding to these verses when he prays for the Colossians, when he says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What Paul is doing is he's praying that the Holy Spirit would fill the members of the Colossian church up with wisdom and understanding so that they could build up one another, build up the church, build up the temple of the Holy Spirit. All that Colossians chapter 3 stuff that we're going to get to at some point, all the one another's. That's what Paul is praying for here. You would be filled up with the spirit of, of Jesus so that you build up one another. 
like they did in the Old Testament with the temple and the tabernacle. Notice, too, the word spiritual that Paul uses here is the Greek word pneumatike. It's a reference to the Holy Spirit, the Greek word pneuma. So this is spirit-given knowledge that Paul is praying for. It's spirit-given wisdom, spirit-given understanding. But Paul is not simply praying for these abstract concepts of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding to fill the Colossian church. He's actually praying that the Spirit would fill them up with the presence of Jesus. Fill them up with the gospel. He's praying that the Spirit would make the gospel saturate the whole church. He's really just praying that Jesus would be like glitter and just get all over this church. That's how glitter is, right? A parent does not want to see a kid playing with glitter in their house, do they? Because, you know, that it just gets everywhere, doesn't it? Paul wants Jesus to be like glitter and just get all over the place in this church. In fact, Paul will use these same three Greek words at the beginning of chapter 2 to describe Jesus. So this knowledge, wisdom, and understanding that Paul is praying for them comes from Jesus, the Word made flesh, Knowledge made flesh, wisdom made flesh, understanding made flesh. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 and 4. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So when Paul prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, he's not talking about what we typically think when we think God's will. Like, what is God's will for my life? Should I marry this girl or should I marry that girl? What college should I go to? Should I take this job? That's not what Paul means here. Paul's talking about Jesus. Richard Chen explains where we find this wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that Paul is praying for. He says this, The answer is strikingly simple. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. Paul is about to present to us with a a breathtaking picture of the majesty, the wonder, the magnificence, and the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things. In other words, if you want knowledge of what pleases God, and if you want spiritual wisdom and understanding... Look to Jesus. As we come to see Jesus more clearly, so we will grow in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of God's will. As we see Jesus more clearly, the gospel gets bigger and bigger in our hearts. His death becomes more wonderful. His resurrection becomes more astonishing. Sin becomes more disgusting, and the devil seems more evil. The restoring work of the Spirit gets mightier, and the global extent of the gospel becomes more important. So what Paul wants for them is for them to see Jesus more clearly. To have the gospel get bigger and bigger in their eyes, to know God and know his word, to get wisdom and understanding so that they can live in harmony as a church community. So you have to keep in mind the communal nature of the book of Colossians, this prayer. It's easy for us to just read this prayer and think about us in our own individual lives. How do I live? Instead of thinking about the church body. This little church needs wisdom in order to deal with their problems. So Paul is praying that they would be filled up with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, Paul is saying this, I want you to know God's word, 
so that you can live God's way as God's family. And then what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Causing us to see Jesus, filling us up with wisdom and understanding. What's the purpose of having the gospel get bigger and bigger in our hearts? What is the purpose of seeing Jesus more clearly? We'll look at verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So Paul is praying that the Spirit would fill these disciples up with the presence of Jesus, that knowledge, wisdom, and understanding that is all found in Christ, so that they would live as a church family in a way that honors and pleases the Lord. He's praying that as the gospel gets everywhere like glitter and they see Jesus more clearly, it would cause them to live as disciples, as a church family, in a way that honors and pleases God as they build one another up in love. But how can we please God? I thought the good news of the gospel is that God is already pleased with us in Christ. Can we make God more pleased with us? Is that possible? Well, remember that pleasing God isn't about putting a bigger smile on God's face. Pleasing God is about seeking to honor the one who already greatly delights in us. Listen, it is impossible to widen the smile on God's face. Therefore, Paul's saying, just go serve him with joy, with abandon. To please God is not to turn his frown upside down. As a Christian, it's to live and to love to his glory. His smile just can't get any bigger. Why? Because we are secure in Christ. We are in him. So pleasing God is not about adding to his joy because God is complete in himself. He's a God of no needs. He does not need us. He does not need us to make his smile bigger. God is not thinking, my smile is like, hmm. And boy, if they would get in line, I'd be like, ah, yes. God doesn't need us. God's joy is complete. It's full. It's not like God's joy is low, 95%, and we bump it up to 100% to our behavior. It's not like God has a scorecard and he's grading our performance. And if we toe the line, and if somehow we are good little disciples, then somehow he will be more pleased with us. It's not that his smile is small and we somehow do something to make him smile bigger. No. Pleasing God is not about adding to his joy. It's about honoring him. His joy never wavers or goes up and down. We saw this last year in our preaching series on the undomesticated attributes of God. If you weren't here for that, go back and listen to it. We unpacked some very weighty concepts of who God is like his aseity and his impassibility, uh, which ties into this. We also saw that God is immutable. He doesn't change. His smile doesn't change. His delight in us does not ebb and flow based on our behavior because he is immutable. Let me say that again. That should bring joy to your heart. His delight in us does not ebb and flow based on our behavior. Why? Because he is immutable. If it did ebb and flow based on our behavior, God would be schizophrenic, wouldn't he? I'm pleased with you. Oh, now you did this. Now I'm not. But I'm pleased. And then doing that for all the Christians in the world, God would be all over the place. He would go crazy. I'm pleased. I'm not pleased. I'm pleased. I'm not pleased. He doesn't go. That doesn't happen with God. He is complete in himself. 
He is pleased with us in Christ as much as he ever will be. So Paul is talking here about how a church body together, living together in community, in their relationships, how a church body pleases and honors and glorifies God. And that happens as we find our all in Jesus. That means then that we are never more pleasing to God than when we're trusting in the only one who has ever been pleasing to God, and that's Jesus. We're never more pleasing to God than we're trusting in the one, his son, the only one who has ever been 100% pleasing to God. Pleasing God doesn't involve us trying to put a smile on God's face by our efforts, our obedience, our works, but by resting in what Jesus has already done for us. Robert Murray Machane said, Oh, how sweet to work for God all day and then lie down at night beneath his smile. That's what Paul's getting at in this prayer. Work hard for God, not for his favor, but for his church, for the people that you're in community with. Do good works for your neighbor and then lie down at night beneath God's smile. Rest in what Jesus has done for you by faith. What does Hebrews 11.6 tell us? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't please God if you're not trusting in what Jesus has done for you in the gospel. You can't please God without faith. So understand this. God's love language is faith. God's love language, if you will, is trust. It's not obedience unless you're talking about Jesus' obedience. Now, of course, God wants us to obey. We should obey. We should walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. No one is denying that. Let me say that again. I am not saying that you shouldn't be obedient and shouldn't obey God's word. I'm not saying that you should uh, try to live in a way that honors and glorifies God. I'm not saying that at all. So if you already started the email, stop, okay? I am not saying that we are not supposed to be obedient and to strive to live for Jesus. We are. No one is denying it. Paul is actually praying that for this church family. But what motivates that? What motivates our obedience? What motivates walking in a manner worthy of the Lord? It's the gospel. It's Jesus. It's faith and trust in Jesus. That's why God's love language is faith. Faith in his son and what he has done for you because that honors him. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. The problem is that we so often fail in our efforts to please him, don't we? How many of us have already failed him today in our efforts to please him? Anybody? How many of you start your day and you really, truly, sincerely want to please and honor and glorify Jesus and then you go and blow it? You lose your temper you say something mean, you lust, you gossip, you slander. Isn't that bad? Isn't that a bad thing to fail, to not be as good as you want? No, that's good in one sense. Hear me out too. Save the email, okay? It can be a good thing if you look at it through the lens of the gospel. It can be a good thing because Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. When we blow it and sin big time, what happens? We hunger for a righteousness outside of us. 
because we know we can't produce it in ourselves because we just blew it. When we truly, from the heart, want to please God, and then we totally make a mess of our lives, is that bad news? Or should I say, is that the end of the story? No. It's the beginning of the story because it's the way we please God because then we collapse on Jesus. So sinning is bad, of course. I'm not saying sinning is good. Sinning is bad. But knowing your sin, being aware of your sin, is a good thing because then you know you need Jesus who's the only good person. Then you know you need his righteousness. So it can be a good thing when you realize your sin because you realize you need his righteousness. And then when you realize that, what happens? You get filled. I think Paul is praying for that here. Matua Mahiani, a leader with the Navigators in Kenya, said this, any moment in our lives when we bask in God's mercy and grace is our highest moment. And when do we bask most in God's mercy and grace? It's after we have failed after we have sinned, after we have blown it. And it's this basking in what Jesus has done for us is what pleases God ultimately. It's where Paul is headed in our prayer, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Paul will give four participles that modify how we can do that. Four participles that tell us how we can walk worthy of the Lord and honor him. Four participles that tell us how we as a church family can please God. Four participles that show us how God is pleased to work in the midst of our church family as we build one another up. First, Paul is praying that they bear fruit in every good work. This again is an allusion to those passages in Exodus where people were filled with the Spirit of God and given wisdom to build the tabernacle and to build the temple. Paul wants the Colossians to be filled up with the Spirit's wisdom, to be filled up with the very presence of Jesus himself who is the source of wisdom so that What? They bear fruit in every good work. This is part of the way that we build up the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We do good works for one another. We bear fruit in every good work. As I mentioned last week, Martin Luther said, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. Your neighbor, whoever that is in your life, but especially in your church family, Your neighbor needs you to be filled up with the Spirit's wisdom that comes from Christ ultimately, filled up with his understanding so that you bear fruit in every good work so that you can build up the church. Other people need you to know God's word and know his gospel and let his word and let his gospel shape your relationships. This is what pleases the Lord when Christians love one another. When we walk as a church in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does that look like? Again, it's all the one another's that Paul will get to in chapter 3. Forgive one another. Bear with one another. Be kind. Be humble. Be patient with one another. Basically, Paul's just saying, hey, y'all, cut out the drama. A church free of drama, relationships free of drama, pleases the Lord. Do you want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? then do good works for your neighbor. Forgive, love, cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in your life, and for crying out loud, cut out all the drama. Aren't you tired of drama in your relationships, anybody? Oh, man. Here's a simple prayer that you can pray 
that's not as long-winded as Paul's, but it gets to the heart of his prayer. You pray this, Holy Spirit, show me Christ that I may build up the body of Christ. That's this Colossian 1's prayer. Holy Spirit, show me Christ. Show me Jesus so that I can build up the body of Christ. So let's pray that as a church. Holy Spirit, show me Christ so that I can build up the body of Christ. You can write that down. You can memorize it. Put it on your refrigerator. Who knows what might happen if we all started praying that. We may experience the R word here at Grace. Revival. The second way to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is to increase in the knowledge of God. To commune with Jesus, to know him more and more, to keep reading your Bible, to keep reading good theology books that explain the Bible, to keep learning about the Lord. Listen, God's word will cause you to grow as a disciple that bears fruit for the good of others. There's so much more to learn about Jesus. So keep digging into your Bible so that you grow in wisdom and understanding. And then go and build up the church, build up the temple of the Spirit like Bezalel and company in the Old Testament. A third way to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is found in verse 10. Look at verse 10. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So God is pleased when we are strengthened by his glorious might to endure hardships with joy and to patiently wait with joy. I don't know about y'all, but I usually don't endure with joy, and I certainly don't wait patiently with joy. It's hard to wait, right? Waiting in and of itself is hard, but to do it with joy? Wait patiently with joy? Why did you have to go and add that, Paul? Well, the only way that we can wait patiently with joy is if we are strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So if we keep our eyes on Jesus, the Spirit will strengthen us to endure and to wait with joy. And then one way to be strengthened is by keeping our eyes on Jesus and thanking our Heavenly Father. That's the fourth way to please God. We are strengthened as we give thanks for what Jesus has done for us. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul unpacks the gospel for the Colossians at the end of his prayer, and he tells them, God has qualified us to share in the inheritance. We can't lose our inheritance even if we're bad. We can really mess up our life, right? We can bring a lot of consequences into our lives, but we can't lose the inheritance because we're in Him. We're safe. We're secure. But we can really mess up our lives. Hey, you can go uh, rob a bank and shoot someone. You're still going to be in Christ, but you'll also be in prison. Okay? That's how it works. You can really mess your life up, but you won't lose your inheritance. But things will be rough in this life. There'll be consequences. We will not lose our inheritance because Jesus has secured it for us through his life and death. Now, we might wander to faraway lands and end up eating with the pigs. But if we make our way back home, we will find our Father waiting for us, looking for us, ready to kill the fatted calf and throw a party for us. That's what Paul is saying here. The inheritance, which is the new heavens and new earth, are ours because of Jesus. We are 
co-heirs with Christ. Think about that, co-heirs. We reign with Christ. Think about that. What a beautiful word, co-heir. Instead of being condemned, we're co-heirs with Christ. Instead of being rejected, we're righteous in Christ. Instead of being orphans, we're adopted in Christ. We have been delivered, Paul says, out of the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, and we have been transferred into the kingdom of his son. I love the Greek here. It's actually, literally, it's the kingdom of the son of his love. I love that. The kingdom of the son of his love. Let me ask you, what kingdom do you belong to? If you're a Christian, you belong to the kingdom of the Son of His love. Do you belong to God's kingdom? Are you a co-heir with Christ? Do you belong to Jesus? Come. Put your faith in Him. Trust in Him. Be set free. Be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son of His love. Will you come today if you haven't? Come. Call out to Him and say, God, have mercy on me. Forgive me. I believe in what Jesus has done. And you will be adopted. And you will be transferred just like that. And if you have been transferred into the kingdom of the Son of His love, then that means that God the Father loves you as much as He loves Jesus. Wow, I never get tired of saying that. Christian, God loves you just as much as he loves his son, Jesus. I've told you before, if somehow you were showed up in, in heaven and you're around the corner and God the Father said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, come here, and you walked in, God would say, there you are, son. That's how tight your union is with Christ. That when God sees you, he sees his own son. He loves you as much as he loves his own son. It's why you will never lose the inheritance, no matter how bad you are. Because he has redeemed us from the slavery auction block of sin and brought us into his home. He has forgiven us of all of our sin, all the bad things that bad people like us do. And that's why you give thanks to your father. Like Paul says in verse 12, giving thanks to your father because he has been so good to you. He went to the devil's orphanage and picked you out and said, you belong with me, come home. I've told you before, God only adopts the devil's kids. All of us who are in Adam, uh, serving the God of this world, and God goes to the orphanage and says, I'll take that one home. And if you're a Christian, that's what he's done for you. And that's why you want to honor and please him. So pleasing God isn't about putting a bigger smile on God's face. Pleasing God is about seeking to honor the one who already greatly delights in us. And he already takes great delight in us because of Jesus. And then knowing that, what? Now we just want to live for him, right? We don't want to go sin, right? You hear that good news and you don't think, what can I get away with? That's pretty good. What can I get away with? You don't hear that. You hear that and you say, I want to live for him. And I hate that I haven't. And you repent. And then you come back to him and say, I just want to live for you, Jesus, because you've been so good for, to me. You don't hear the gospel and think, oh yeah, what can I get away with? You want to please him, to live for him. Steve Brown said, holiness and righteousness are the desire of every Christian. Many Christians say, I'm going to be holy and righteous even if it kills me. And it usually does. But, and here is the exciting thing, 
Holiness and righteousness have already been achieved for you by Christ. When you stand before the Father, he sees you as holy and righteous because of the blood of his Son. You are, in fact, justified before God because of the cross. That is a cold, hard fact. You don't have to try so much anymore to be holy and righteous. You are now free to fail and, more importantly, free to allow him to love you and to love him back. You enter a relationship not between a criminal and a policeman, but between a loving father and his child. When you enjoy that relationship, something wonderful happens. You find holiness and righteousness come tagging along behind. You find that you, almost without knowing it, are in a process that makes you increasingly more holy and righteous. This is the message. Obedience doesn't lead to freedom. Freedom leads to obedience. If that is backwards, you lose both your freedom and eventually your obedience. It's all about freedom. It's not about a system. It's about the person of Jesus who said, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Freedom leads to obedience. Freedom leads to pleasing God. Not trying to do that. Like if I, if I obey enough, then I'll be free. Don't get it backwards. And remember, It is pleasing to God whenever you rejoice or laugh from the bottom of your heart. So go do that today. Laugh from the bottom of your heart. Laugh because Jesus paid it all. Laugh because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And then rejoice from the bottom of your heart. Rejoice that Jesus can't remember your sins. And then, because that is true, do what Robert Murray McShane said. Which is really what Paul is praying for here. He says, live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eyes settled on you in love and repose in his almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart And so there will be no room for folly or the world or Satan or the flesh. So live much in the smiles of God, y'all. Live much in his smiles. You can do that today because the God of love is for us. And the spirit of God is in us individually and as a church family. And the son of God is with us. In fact, you can sleep deep tonight, unless you're like me and you just can't sleep. You can sleep deep tonight with a big smile because God is smiling at you in Christ. So even if you can't sleep like I can't sleep many nights, I can be awake with a big smile. You can sleep deep tonight with a big smile because God is smiling at you in Christ right now. It's a fixed grin. It's an unending smile. He is pleased with you in Christ. And that ought to put a smile on your face at least until Tuesday, maybe Wednesday. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you that you uh, live the life that we could never live because, Lord, we're, we're sinners, we're bad. You died the death we all clearly deserve because we have 
broken your law. We've not loved you as we should. You've been raised from the dead. You ascended to your Father's right hand where you intercede for us now as our high priest, and you're coming again soon. And so everything that we have is because of you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son of your love, a kingdom where the main message is that you love your Son and all those who are in him. We pray that that message would get into our hearts so that we would want to live for you and glorify you, so that we would do good works for our neighbors, that we would build up the body of Christ here at Grace. So would you help us? Holy Spirit, would you help us? Help us to see Jesus. Let the gospel get bigger and bigger in our heart so that we go and build others up in love. And then may you get great glory and great honor because it's all about you. In your name we pray, amen.